Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law. But the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we ask that as we study and consider these things this morning, first, that as a people that we would come before you and we would say, you are God and we are not, and we request that you would speak to us, that we would come to you in a spirit of humility, ready to receive what you say, and that you would free us from every thought, every possibility of attempting to earn what you have freely given to us, but that we would commit on hearing it to live a life of holy gratitude. That we would, in thankfulness, turn and honor what it is that you 
call us to do, that we would say yes to you. Father, we know that your heart is to draw people to yourself, to give them the righteousness that comes from Christ, and to live with them in fellowship. And so we come before you and we ask on behalf of these 76,000 people in Canada, Lord, who need to hear the gospel and to know the truth so that they can believe and so that some of them can go back to their people and share the great things that you have done for them, Lord. We pray that you would send workers to them, that they would hear the gospel and believe and put their faith and trust in Jesus and that they would then bring that word to the seven million Gulf Arabs. Father, we pray for ourselves as well, that we would see ourselves as those who are to deliver the good news, not just to, not just to know it and to keep it to ourselves, but instead to live out the mission of the church. And so, Father, I pray that we would be encouraged and moved to take steps of faith and hope and love, Lord, by your grace and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I am and have been for a long time all about Amazon. Um, Amazon is an amazing company, and I know that there's like, you know, Amazon, big bad this and big bad that, but uh, years and years ago, I remember discovering that I could order Christmas presents online and thinking, this is great, this is amazing, like the act of going out and, you know, walking around with lots of people and searching on shelves and looking and just trying to find the right stuff it was just so intimidating and life draining from <laughs> me you know it just you know i hear i hear buy a present and my soul internally just withers right and amazon has come from a place where you could buy books that people don't really want to read you know that's what it was originally was we will sell you books um, it has become the one-stop shop like for everything, right? You can watch television. They've got their own TV shows now. And they, uh, they do music. And they do grocery delivery. And they do all this stuff. They were, they were piloting this program, I heard, where Amazon will come to your house. And they've got like an Amazon key or whatever. And you put an Amazon lock on your house. And the people will actually come into your house and put the groceries in the refrigerator for you. That's amazing, right? And a number of years ago, they were saying that, that they were going to be doing this, this uh, drone delivery where this, like, this thing will fly, this robot will fly to your house and drop the package off in front of your house when you're there like, so that you can have it right away. Like, that's, this is amazing to me that they, they do this stuff. Um, for all of the glory and the beauty of their website and their apps and the like Ask Alexa and all this stuff, right? You know, it all boils down to one thing at the, the tip of the spear, right? And it's, can they actually get the thing that you've ordered to you, right? Can, can they, because if they can't deliver the thing, whatever it is that you've set your, your heart's desire on or that you think will make the perfect present or that needs to arrive just in time, right? You know, if they can't get that to you and, and actually pull that off, if they can't execute that, then what is the point of all of the other 
stuff, right? Now, on occasion, I have ordered some things from Amazon, and I will get this text message that says, your package has been delayed. You know, a lot of times it's in the winter when there's snow, and, you know, they're not, they're not willing to send that great big truck over the bridge, I guess, or, or whatever, you know? Um, the, the package has been delayed, and I'm like, Amazon, you know? I'm like, why isn't my package here? It took three days instead of two. You know, but when I when I consider that that the box shows up on on my front step, right? You know, and that they've actually done that 1.6 million times that day. Think about that. They ship somewhere. They, 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 the website says that they process about 1.6 million orders a day. Right now, sometimes when I order stuff from Amazon, they're like, "This this will ship in two packages, right? Because one item's in Arizona somewhere, and the other's like in, in Delaware, and so it comes in two packages." And that means, based on some of the website data that I've gathered, that 3.3 million packages are being delivered every day. Isn't that amazing? 608 million packages a year. That's astounding. Right? They are getting the job done. And in some places now, you can order something from Amazon, like if you live in a great big city and they've got a big warehouse there, they'll have it to your house in two hours. It's amazing. Amazing to me. I, I, I met with uh, Matt and Zach to talk about the sound system just about a week ago. And while we were sitting there, I placed an order for a part that we were going to install. And it was at my house the next day. I was like, this is amazing. I didn't have to go anywhere. All I needed to do was open the box and drive to work the next morning. And I just like put it right here. I was like, here it is. It's astounding. The church has been given a mission. The church has been given a mission. We have been given a mission of making disciples. We have been given a mission of telling people that though they are separated from God by their sins, though they were born into a condition of spiritual deadness separated from God, though in their, their birth they were connected to a kingdom that is not God's kingdom, but the kingdom of uh, what is the, the person who's called the prince of the power of the air, the devil, though they were, were born into a people whose culture is heading away from God, and though they have, have refused to do the, God that God, the, the good that God calls them to, and they have embraced those things which God has said, hey, don't do that, they, they embrace that. Though they have done all these things, and they are separated from God, the scripture says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, that because of the great love with which he loves us, he makes a way for us to be alive again. That is amazingly good news. Why is it then that it is so easy for the church to focus on having 
impressive buildings or having impressive music or having impressive community or having all kinds of things falling into traps, right? Pitfalls and things that deceive us from the true nature of the church. They draw us off the path and cause us to forget that our primary mission is to get the word to people who don't know it. Why is it? I mean, I'll tell you why Amazon is doing so well as a business and why other businesses aren't doing as well. And yes, has there, has, since Amazon has debuted on the scene, have businesses fallen apart because they can't compete? Yes, but think about it. If you go to your local neighborhood bookstore and say, hey, can you get me this book? And they say, oh, we don't have that, right? Amazon says, we'll send it to you right now and you can read it on your phone, right? Amazon says, we'll send it to you, and you'll have it in two days if you're a member of our elite club, Amazon Prime, right? You can start reading it electronically right now, or if you want to pay just a little bit more, we'll get the book to you tomorrow, and you can have it. Oh, you'll order the book for me? Yeah. When, when will you get it? Oh, two weeks. Forget it. I'm gone, right? Because we see immediacy, or we see delay. You go into a store and you say, hey, do you have this? You drove there, right? You got dressed. You got ready. You went to the store and you went in and you said, this is what I'm looking for. And they say, we don't have that here, right? And you go on your phone and you order it. This is why they're doing well, because they get the packages to people. They're getting the job done. Yes. I'm not going to repeat that comment. Yes, but you're, you're right. Look at Paul's desire here in Romans 10. We're going we're gonna to camp really on, on the tail end of this chapter, but I want to review where we are. Paul has, has defended the righteousness of God in Romans 9, and he has said that God saves whom he will because of his will, because of his desire, and he has defended God's righteousness. But then he moves to this idea that does not compete with the first idea. Many people would think, well, okay, well, if God you know, chooses... Who's going to be called to himself? You know, who's going to be saved or whatever? Then, you know, why evangelize? But Paul says, my heart's desire and prayer to God for my people is that they may be saved. He is passionate to see that they hear the good news about Jesus and that they attain true righteousness. Their problem or struggle is that they are living and grappling with and dealing with this false idea of how they restore a right relationship with God, right? Verses 5 through, um, where, where, oh, sorry, verses uh, 2 through 5 talk about the fact that, that, they, that they have a passion for God. They want to be pleasing to God. They want to serve God, but that their, that their pursuit of righteousness is not consistent with the way that God has revealed himself. They think we will be good and we will earn righteousness. Paul says it's not the way it works. God gives it to people in Christ. He hands it to them when they believe in faith. God calls someone to himself and then they are saved. And he talks about how available this truth is. Do you need to, Paul says in verse 6, do we have to ascend into heaven 
by being so good or so amazing or so stellar to bring the righteousness of Christ down? No. Do we need to go down into Hades and to raise Christ from the dead and bring him up? Do we need to do some amazing spiritual work to achieve righteousness? No. What Paul says, quoting the Old Testament, is he says that the word of faith that saves is near to us. It's in our mouth and in our heart. Have you ever noticed that a little bug flying around, right? I mean, they're, they're little and they're annoying, right? But if that bug finds its way into your mouth, how like suddenly huge it is, you know, you're just like, like you've invaded this personal sanctuary of mine. You know, like a little, you're eating some corn or you're eating some meat, some gets stuck in your teeth, right? And all of a sudden, it goes from being this tiny little piece of this larger thing that you were consuming, and now all of a sudden, it's all you can, it, 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 it becomes huge, right? Uh, personally, I'm like, I cannot rest until I get this corn out of my teeth, you know? Like, I need a flosser, I need one of those beautiful little tools that's got a little tiny piece of floss on it, because I gotta get that thing out of there, because my world will not be okay until it's gone, right? Think about how we focus when something's wrong and we have a cavity or when something's wrong with us physically. I stubbed my toe, I think it's broken, now all I can think about is my toe that a day ago I, I couldn't even told you like that I even have toes. What are you thinking about? I'm thinking about this, 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 this. Are toes on your list? No, right? What he says is, he says, the word that justifies the good news is so close. It's so accessible. It's so near to you. It's the word that's in your mouth and in your heart. It's so close to you. You don't have to do these incredibly impressive, impressive things to receive righteousness. What we must do is confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that he did this work on the cross. And the guarantee, the promise of God here is that we will be saved, will be removed from the kingdom of darkness, the domain of darkness is what Colossians calls it. Paul calls it in the book of Colossians. He says we'll be transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved son. Everyone who confesses this will be saved, verse 10. Everyone who believes this in their heart will be justified. They will be declared righteous by God. That is good news. And yet here's what happens. We see it. We find that we have this evident need because we're going through a struggle or we're, we're thinking about significance or we grew up in the church, right? And we were always around this thing. And then all of a sudden, all these things that people have been saying to us for years, we're suddenly like, wait a minute, I need that, right? And we say, how do I get that? And it's like, this is just a one-click order for you, you know? You just, you just need to say, yeah, put it in my cart and ship it. I want righteousness from Christ. I need this. God calls to you. You realize your need, and you say, Jesus is Lord, and I need to be justified. And the guarantee here is that we will be saved. 
And what happens to believers and what happens in the church then is we say, I need to be fed. I need to grow. I need to live my life and do all these things, all good things that distract me from the ultimate good that God has called me to, and that's making sure that other people hear as well. So Amazon has shifted away from their central warehouse model, right? This is where they started. They were like, all the world's books are going to be shipped to this one singular location, and then we're going to spread them out using UPS, right? And we're going to ship them all over the place. But they were like, man, that costs a little bit too much. You know what we'll do? We'll build maybe eight or nine uh, warehouses throughout the United States, and they stuck them all over the place, right? And then they were like, okay, we're going to get things, and we're going to deliver them quicker, and we're going to save more money, right? Now, they're like, you know what we're going to do? Not 12, we're going to build like 60 warehouses. Now, they're like, we're going to put a warehouse in every single city so that we can get stuff in two hours, because their thing is, as fast as possible, we are going to get what people want to them immediately. And that's why they're killing it. That's, that's why they're successful. As fast as possible, get people exactly what they want. The church is called to get people exactly what they need. Jesus didn't say, hey, you know what? I'm going to build one factory right here in Jerusalem, and I'm going to make disciples. He said, all right, I got 12 of you guys. I want you to go and to make disciples. And so he started 12 disciple-making factories, right? People saying what the gospel is to people who don't understand the gospel. They don't know what the good news is. They go out and they say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, and people come to them. But you know what they didn't do? They didn't say, hey, you know what? There's just 12 of us. We are the 12 factories. No, what happened is Paul, when he shows up on the scene, he says, the things that you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, you've heard me say these things, Timothy, talking to a young pastor. He says, the things that you've heard me say, entrust them to faithful men so that they'll be able to teach others also. Amazon didn't invent this, like put a factory in every city thing, right? They might have invented the, like, we're going to manage all the books and, and things and every last thing that you could possibly want or need or not need but want, right? You know, they didn't, they didn't invent that. They may have invented the structure for delivering stuff, but Jesus said, we're going to take this thing from happening right here on this mountain in Galilee, and we're going to send it into every single culture everywhere so that every single person everywhere can hear this news. That's the mission of the church, is to get the good news to every single person who needs to hear it. Look at how he builds this argument. He says this, how will people call on him? How will they call on Jesus? How will they say Jesus is Lord? And how will they believe that God raised him from the dead? How will they call on him in whom they've not believed? How will people say, I want that? Unless they know it exists. Next thing he says, and how are they to believe in him if they've never heard of him? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Now, don't 
think that that means guy in a tie with a microphone standing up on a stage, because it doesn't. That's not what it means. Preaching here is proclaiming or speaking. How are they to preach unless they are sent? How are they to, to share this word? How are they to share this good news unless someone says, relocate from this place to that place? Now, this doesn't mean that you need to get on a plane or a boat and cross over a vast distance of salt water in order to be on mission, right? What it means is you go from the place where you hear the good news on a mountain in Galilee, say, or in a church, or in your house where someone's sharing with you, and you go from the place where you hear it to the place where there are people who need to hear it. Amen. How are they to preach unless they are sent? And then what he says, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. One of the things that I've heard Amazon is doing is, is they're saying, hey, we'll sell you a business license for $10,000. You know, we'll get you started. We'll loan you some money. You can lease an entire fleet of vehicles. And what they're talking about doing now is running trucks, basically, into regions unknown where they can't build factories. And you're there with your business, your fleet of 10 trucks, and you're doing their delivery work for them so they can get things delivered even faster. You can, you can open your own Amazon shipping depot. There's like a page. I don't know what it is. You can go there and you can sign up and you can be the Amazon guy in your region because there's places where you still can't get two-day shipping on it. Now think about this. This is what Jesus does. He says, hey, you know, you need this. You need the righteousness that comes from me. And we say, yes, I want it. And then he says, now I want to reach the people that you work with. Now I want to reach family that you were born into. Now I want to reach your friend group. Now I want to reach the people that you play baseball with. Now I want to reach uh, chess players. Now I want to reach band members, right? You know, it's, it's there, there are all these different groups that we're all involved in, all connected to, and the gospel needs to go there because everybody needs to hear. Paul points out here that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And so this, I think, is of preeminent importance. It's not just saying to people, God loves you and wants to save you. But instead, it is delivering the product, the thing that God has put into the world, which changes hearts and minds. And that is his very word, his word. Not our words about his word, but his word itself. Part of the reason why we do fighter verses is so that as believers who are busy and who are constantly flooded with information, we can hear and see different scriptures from different places in the Bible. And we can say, like, I heard that once. Or I know that, and it reminds us of the word. And there are, there are things that are useful. I can't tell you how many times somebody will say, oh, the fighter verse this week was perfect for me. You know, that it was, it was right on time. Or they'll say, you quoted this verse in your sermon, and that was, I'd never heard that before, or I, I never connected the two ideas, right? The word is 
where God's power and strength lie, where the Holy Spirit is actually working, not our thoughts about his thoughts, right? Not just a couple devotional meditations from Pastor Keith or somebody else, you know, but actual words from God's word. Um, Nancy was listening to something earlier this week. Uh, it, was, it was a talk by somebody talking about uh, personal identity and, and motivation. I think it was a Facebook thing. And the, the, the lady who was speaking was saying, don't describe your contribution that you have to make as small. Don't, don't say, I just, I just want to say a few words to you. Or, or could, you give me, um, could you give me a, a moment of your time so that I can make a small recommendation to you? Right? I had a, a, a mentor say to me, if someone calls you as a pastor and says, hey, could you come and give us a little talk, say no. And so this is what I do. I say, I don't give little talks. And I, and I, try, to, I try to do it in a way where I can immediately give like a, a nice, more polite answer. And I try not to be like as rude as I just sounded right there. But I'll say, <laughs> I'll say, I'll say look, you, know, you want me to come and speak? I'll come and speak, and I'll talk about God's word. But I don't give little talks. I don't just give five-minute motivational speeches on something. Like, you're going to hear and get the word because if it's just me standing up giving you seven thoughts on something, it's a waste of people's time. Because there's no power or, or work there. Instead, what we ought to be doing is taking a section of God's text and saying, this is good news. This can change your life. This can transform everything about you. This can change your identity, it can put you on a completely different track, it can build you up in Christ because God's power is in it. Now, let me defend this idea. God, when he speaks, when he communicates with human beings, or sorry, when he works in the world, he does it through speaking. We see this over and over again in the scripture. Yes, God acts in his word. He performs miracles, and he does things in the physical world, but that's never where the emphasis is. It's interesting because some places in the scriptures, when Jesus is, is healing people, it, it'll, it'll say, like, you know, he, he spat and made mud and smeared it on their eyes, or he placed his fingers on their eyeballs and said, you know, or he stuck his fingers in their ears, like, and there's, there's not a whole lot of emphasis on how everybody felt about the miracle or how the miracle played out. You know, there's not a whole lot of drama there. There's not a whole lot of buildup. It's just kind of like, and then he did this, right? And the person was healed. And then there's a word that's spoken about believing or trusting God. It's almost as if the miracles themselves are not that important. Amen. That what's important is that people put their faith and trust in God. What we find over and over in scriptures is that God speaks. In the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. How does he do it? By saying, let there be light. Let this happen. Let this happen. It doesn't say, you know, and God got some mud and he blah, 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 blah you know, and then he planted all the grass and then he made all the animals, you know, and he, he took them from his workshop and put them up. No, it's just like, let there be animals. Bow. There they are all over the place. At some point, this is, I would love to know this. You know, he said, let there be mosquitoes. Like, for what purpose are they in the universe? Are they part of the fall? I think so, but probably not. They probably had some reason for existing. God creates all of these things through his word. 
The Lord formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. What's amazing about this is that it says here that God breathed life into man, and later on in the book of of, of 2 Timothy, we will be told that God breathes life into his word. And that that's what restores spiritual life. When God is declaring or setting out the boundaries for humanity, he commands the man in Genesis 2, 16. When God is going to begin a program of redeeming the world from sin, what does he do? He makes a promise out loud to Abraham. He challenges him and says, Go from your country, and I will make of you a great nation. He doesn't doesn't just make Abraham a great nation. He makes a promise. Because God works through his word. Listen to him. Speak this truth to his people. Isaiah 55, 10. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Natural process, right? So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I send it. When God speaks, stuff happens. And that's how God works, through his word. Jeremiah is sent to a godless people who are running in their own direction. The entire culture is falling apart. God's people have moved far from him, and God sends Jeremiah. And he says, Behold, Lord, this is Jeremiah 1, verse 6, I don't know how to speak. I am only a youth. And the Lord said, Don't say I'm only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. When God sends someone to turn around a culture or to bring a message to them, he puts not creative words, not their thoughts on social decay, not, you know, 17 things that need to make it through Congress in order to transform the culture, because let's be honest, that's a dead end, right? You know, what he does is he says, here are my words. Jeremiah is taken to a valley full of dead bones, and God says, this is the whole of the house of Israel. These are your people. Can they come back to life? And Jeremiah very wisely says, only you know, right? I'm not going to say yes, and I'm not going to say no, because I could be wrong. Only you know, Lord. And what does God say to them? Speak to the bones and tell them, hear the word of the Lord. And say, God says, breath will enter you and you will live. And he does it, and they live. In Exodus, Moses talks about the fact that he is afraid of being sent. And I believe that's something that that really we struggle with, the fear of rejection, the fear of of being told that we're dumb or that, you know, that that someone is going to hurt us or something. That we're, we're we're like the fear of speaking up paralyzes us. 
Moses is given many reasons why he can't go to Pharaoh. And then he finally camps on this at the end of, of him challenging God. He says to the Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you've spoken to me. I am slow of speech and of tongue. And this is what God says to him. Who made man's mouth? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth. I love, isn't that amazing? The very power of God to transform the world, to liberate Israel, to uh, speak the good news about Jesus Christ, and to raise people from spiritual death. God says, I'll be with your mouth. I will help you do that. Isn't that what Jesus promises in Matthew 28? Go and make disciples, he says. And then he says, and I'll be with you even to the end of the age. Not like spiritually with you, like saying, attaboy, go for it. You can do it. But no, like I'll be with you, with you involved in every step of the process, involved with the speaking. When God works, he works in and through his word. And this is written all over the place in the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 4.1, Paul says this, speaking of, of what the apostles are doing out in the world, the ones that have been sent from the church to preach the gospel. He says, this is how one should regard us. This is how you ought to view the people who've been sent as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And the Bible hadn't been stitched into books yet because it hadn't been finished because he was actually writing this when he said that, right? You know, and it couldn't yet be in a print edition of the scriptures. So he says, stewards of the mysteries of God entrusted with the word, entrusted with the good news of the gospel. And then he says this, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. You know what we're talking about? Talking about can the business deliver the packages. Imagine if everyone at Amazon said, man, look at this factory. It has got every last thing that you could ever want or need, right? There's groceries, there's clothes, there's lawn chairs. Like everything that we want is right here. Let's just open it all up and use it on ourselves. Let's just build a house in this great big factory. We'll all live here. You know what's going to happen? That might last for a while, right? Eating all the food. But at some point, the power is going to go off, right? You know, at some point, somebody's going to come in and say, what are you guys doing in here? This is for others. This is to expand. This is to maintain what, what it is that we're, we're doing. We accomplish our mission by sending this stuff away. One of the reasons I believe that the church has fallen off so greatly in our culture is that because we are so abundantly blessed in the United States, we have turned the gospel into a means of personal peace and prosperity and blessing for ourselves and we don't view other people as in intense need of the truth intense need in the united states one person is born every eight seconds one person dies every 12. the united states population on the little web counter that keeps going like 
the piece of me struggles to actually put a number on the page because I'm like, by the time I say it in the pulpit, it's going to have changed dramatically. 328 million people in the United States. 328 million. I cannot even conceive of 328 million of anything. But what I can do is I can say, Amazon ships out three million packages a year, and one of those is mine. And how important that package is to me that it arrived. I love it. I love getting text messages. It's been shipped, right? I bought a, I bought a, 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 a Wi-Fi router the other day. Uh, because we're paying $10 a month, you know, on top of whatever we're paying Comcast for. We're not even going to go there. Um, you know, and they're charging me $10 a month to rent this piece of equipment. And I'm like, I'm going to buy my own, right? And so I placed the order, and it's like, you have ordered. And I'm like, I know that. I just placed the order, you know. And they send me a text message that says, your order has been successfully placed. Great. And then they say, it's been shipped, Right? And then if I'm, if I'm here, or I'm at a meeting, or I'm talking with somebody or something, you know, I'm sitting there enjoying a cup of coffee, and I'm doing something else, all of a sudden my phone buzzes, and I look, and it says, it's been delivered. I go home, and I say, kids, where's the box, right? And they bring it to me, and I'm like, my precious, I'm going to install my router. I think about how important that is to me, and think there are millions of people receiving packages like that every day, precious to themselves. There are 7.4 billion people in the world. The state of the mission of the church looks like this. Throughout the world, one-third of the world is said to have gospel access, meaning that if they want to read God's word or want to hear, all they need to do is get up and roll into a church or look in their drawer in a hotel room or a hospital room, and there's God's word. They could, they could call somebody and say, hey, we want a Bible, and they will hand it to them because there's access. One-third of the world stands within reach of gospel access, which means that if somebody were to say, we're going to go there right now, or, or if we just raise enough money to get deployed to the mission field, or if... if if we would just get a team that could share the gospel, these people could be reached. That's a third of the world that has gospel access. They're reachable. People who study missions throughout the world says right now, one third of the world's population lies beyond gospel access, meaning even if you started today, you could not get the gospel to them before they died. There's just not enough time to get to them. Nobody's made the plans, nobody's gone, nobody's translated the Bible into their language. Nobody has done the work to make it happen. And so they are beyond gospel access. The population of unreached people in the world is 3 billion people. Unreached people. That is 7,000 groups families, tribes of people, however you want to call it, clans, who have no access in the world. Do you know what that is? Think, think about these countries, okay? Japan, Russia, Bangladesh, Nigeria, Pakistan, Brazil, Indonesia, the United States, and India. Add all those populations up, all of them. And we're just getting to the number of unreached people in the world. Normally people say, like, 
oh, like, like China. That's just half of, of that number, 1.3. That's not even half of that number. There are a huge number of people who have not been reached. And when you look at the world map and you, you see who it is that, that God is sending the world to and you see that there are 7,000 groups who have no access to the word and then you look at the other categories, those who have little evangelical access, little ability to hear the gospel, uh, 1,100 groups, that's where the population is, say, 1% Christian. And so to, to move from the category of the unreached to the slightly reached does not improve their status that much. There is work to be done in sharing the gospel. Uh, when my brother got married, I, uh, I decided I would do this thing, you know, um, when, I, when I gave the speech at his wedding. And um, so I got up and I said, uh, you know, I'm so thankful my brother and to Carrie, you know, for, for asking me to be the best man in their wedding, you know, what an opportunity. Uh, and so I want to say some nice things about my brother and I want to say some nice things about my, my now sister-in-law. Um, and I had gotten a, a, a long piece of tractor feed printer paper. You remember this? You know, you had to take the, the tractor things off of the sides and but it was all one long piece. And I had gotten a piece of that and I said, but before I do that, I just want to, I want to air a few grievances, right? And I, I dropped the paper and it went all the way down to the ground. Right? And it's like this funny dramatic moment, you know. And, all right, moving on. No, seriously, I threw it away. Um, what I wanted to do was to take the list of unreached people groups and I wanted to print it out and like staple it together and then drop it here. And then I thought, the problem with that is even using a relatively small type would still be 222 pages long. 222 pages long. And I thought, to just to do that would make a mockery of the fact that there are billions of people who need gospel access. Now, as Christians, and as people who've put our faith and trust in Jesus, we might say, that's just, it's too big for us. It's, it's too big to think of one person going and reaching China or India or one person going and reaching even the Eastern Shore where supposedly there are a million people. And I would say, yes, one person cannot get the job done. But one person speaking God's word with the power of God working through them can get the job done that God's assigned to them. Now, you have been uniquely placed in a job. You have been uniquely placed in a social structure, in a place. There are people that you know, I guarantee it, in this room that other people don't know. And those are the people that God has called for you to share the word with, to bring the word to. And all of the excuses and all of the, the fears and all of the reasons why not and why it's not the right time, 
they all begin to rise up within us, to which the answer to all of our objections and struggles is this, that it's not required of us that we be successful. It's not required of us that we share the word and that someone say, you know what, I want that, and that they believe. What's required of stewards is that they be faithful, right? You can't go to the bank and go and check your bank account balance and say, why isn't there more money in here, right? Wait a minute. What happened here? Where did all my money go, right? Like, that's not their job to give you more money. Their job is to say, you put this money in, you took this money out, here's your balance, and here is what's left, right? That's being faithful. It's our job to say, oh, you need the gospel? Here you go. Here's the word. Here's the word. Let me share the word with you. Because what it says here is faith comes through hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, which means if we put the word of Christ in front of people, they will receive a hearing. He will be heard, and then faith can break forth. I believe that the church ought to fund world missions. We ought to be putting people out on the mission field where the gospel is not yet present, where people do not yet know about Jesus. We ought to be turning and looking in our own neighborhoods and saying the reason why our culture is falling apart, the reason why people are pursuing every kind of uh, immorality and self-destructive behavior and foolish thing is because the word is not central, because we do not know the word of God. Uh, as, as Jeremiah speaks about in the prophets, he says that there is a famine in the land. And there's not a physical famine in this land of, of hunger, although there are hungry people. There's not a physical famine that's destroying our culture as much as there is what Jeremiah calls a famine for hearing the word of the Lord. We have all kinds of information flying everywhere. People are accessing and eating it up at record speeds on mobile devices. The problem's not access to information, it's access to the right information. And so we need to be faithful handing out the word. Now as I draw it to a close, I wanna, I wanna point this out. The world need is enormous and we don't need to fix that all on our own, we just need to be faithful. We need to find people who are, who are at the task and say, we will help you and support you. And I'm proud of the fact that we take 10% of what's given and we send it out. I would love to be able to say it's 15% at some point in the future. Or that we take 10% and we send it away and we send 10% into our neighborhood to try to, to reach people with the gospel. We need, to, we need to take steps forward and do more in that sense. But it starts with personal faithfulness in sharing the word with others. I had a conversation with, with somebody who became a believer because of what we do here at this church and this ministry. And she asked me, she said, did you know that I was going to repent and put my faith and trust in Jesus? And I said, uh, I don't know. I don't know what I knew. She said, well, you always acted like it. You always acted like I was going to. And I said, that's because I believe this. It's because I believe that God's word does what it's supposed to accomplish. My job isn't to change your heart or your mind. That's God's job. It's my job just to say, this is what the word says. This is what the word says. Here it is. 
I hand it to you. God loves you. Even while you're still a sinner, Christ died for you. Put your faith and trust in him and find that he is faithful. So when you add up Romans 9 and 10 and you come to the conclusion, Paul says this, that God gave the word to Israel and they refused to receive it as he gave it to them, right? And so they did not believe and they were not justified. That's what he's saying at the end of Romans 10 here, that that who has believed the word that's been spoken to them, that the word went out and it doesn't feel like it's having any success. But then this is what, what Paul says, because they did not receive it because they rejected it, he turned to other people and he shared the gospel with them because he is kind and generous and a people who were not seeking God heard his word and believed in it. And they received it, right? What does that have to do with the, the people who, who, who don't receive it? Right? Look at how he ends here, because I think this will be an encouragement. Verse 21, it says, But of Israel, he says, All day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. The image of a, of a little child here, right? You know, I can do it. I can do it myself, right? You know, this was, this was me when they were all little. You know, like, let me help you. No, I can do it. I'm like, all right, I'm here. Right? I'm here. Here I am. Let me help you. Oh, you're going over? Grab. Right. Lift them up and pick them up. I think that's the image that we ought to go out into the world with. God loves people from everywhere, and he is sending his word to people who aren't even looking for him. Right? It says, I have been found by those who did not seek me. They were like, you know what? I had a need. I needed to be saved. I needed to be justified. I needed to be made righteous. And, And they're like, where are the answers? And they look, and they're like, it's right there. There's the word. It's right next to me. It was found by someone who didn't seek me. I've shown myself to those who did not ask for me. What about people who stubbornly, constantly refuse to believe? We just keep sharing faithfully, faithfully, faithfully. Why? Because God says, all day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. We are not responsible for what grows, how it grows, how the mission moves forward, or its success. We're not responsible for that. And so if a missionary comes back and says, I have faithfully preached the word of God, you know what? No one believed. We gotta say, Did you, were you really faithful? Yes, okay. Keep at it, because it's not their job. It's God's job. It's God's job to bring the increase. It's our job to be faithful. Our job to be faithful and to share. Because when it all comes down to it, God is going to say, did you or did you not get the packages out? Did you send the word to where it needed to go? That's how he's going to determine whether or not we were faithful. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be here and to share this word. I pray that that this would be the question that we ask ourselves when we evaluate our work as a church. Have we been faithful to the word and have we brought the word to those who need to hear it? Hopefully, until you call us home, the answer will be there is still room for improvement and that we will not despair or give up 
but instead that we will say we, we try harder, we work harder, not to earn your favor, but because you've been kind to us. Lord, I pray that we would set up a new scorecard, not just how many people came, although that's important, not just how much money was given, although that's important, but instead that we would look at marriages healed, lives transformed, people who hear the gospel, people who are sent away, people who are deployed on the mission field, and that we would say, this is our fruit, this is success, your mission, your kingdom, your glory, and not necessarily our own. And so we pray that you would judge us, Lord, and find us faithful to your commission and to your task. We thank you that you've made it simple and that what we have to do is to share your word with others. We pray that you would help us to be faithful. Remind us that you're always with us. Keep the gospel ready in our mouths, ready to speak when we see a need, when it needs to be shared. We thank you for your grace and your kindness. We pray your blessing on all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing this closing song together.